This morning, I'm going to continue on along the lines of this same series we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, except for this morning, we're going to talk about I Am the Door. I Am the Door is the topic of our discussion this morning, so I'm going to take a few moments to do that. When you approach your house, what or how, I should say, do you get in the house? Do you open the window and crawl in? Hopefully not. If you didn't forget your keys, you should be able to go through the, through the door. The door is put there for a purpose. The door has a reason. Once you enter your house, it is not the only time you exit or enter or exit or enter. We, we kind of do both, don't we? We walk into the house, we walk into the church, we enter the door, and then at some point in time during the end of our, our time together, you exit the door. You see, we, we, we think about God as this door we walk into, but we don't ever think about how he also sends us. Are you with me? We come into the sheepfold, as the Bible says, and we'll get to it. We come into the fold and we, oh, praise the Lord, I'm in the church. Oh, hallelujah. But we forget that God said, go out the door. There's a reason why he said he was the door. And we're going to see that just for this, this morning. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. While you're turning there. As we understand, the point of these messages is to show us who Jesus really is. We have been taught and heard it preached that he is the Savior of the world, which is correct. We've been taught that he is our everything, which is correct. But do you realize that through these I am sayings, these seven sayings that we'll be going through the next couple of weeks, that he describes exactly who he is. You have no choice but to understand him when you study about him or hear a preached word about him. It's not hard to figure out who this man named Jesus, the Savior of the world, really was. So he gives us this allegory this morning of the door. In John chapter 10, verse, we're going to read verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone, who is anyone? That, that pretty well takes care of it all, right? Anyone, not just some, not the favorite ones, not the anyone. If anyone enters by me, notice he says me. He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. When you... When you when you take cattle or you take sheep or any kind of grazing animal and you take them into this fenced area, you know, the grass has grown for a little bit. Those of you who have, have had that, you know what we're talking about. But you, you put them in this fenced pasture for a little bit and at some point in time, they need to come out. Am I wrong? Why? Because if they stay there too long, they begin to die. Why? Because they ran out of food. The grass can't grow no more because they've ate it down to the nub. That's the condition of the church today. The church is 
ain't the grass down to the nub and the church is dying in several different locations across this world and we can't figure out why. It's because all we've ever done is come in and we forgot we got to go out. John chapter 10 verse 7 gives us this starting of the, good, of the good shepherd chapter. He says, then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Are you a sheep in this room this morning? You just admittedly told me that you are the stinkiest, dumbest. <laughs> am I telling the truth? A sheep is, they stink. They're dumb. If they don't have anybody to tell them what to do, they... I are one of you, so I'm not. So why did he use this sheepfold, the sheep, to illustrate who he is? Because it's very simple. We complicate this very much so. But this is very, very simple, church. All that he's trying to tell us is he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way you're ever going to find eternity is if you do it through him because he is the door in and he is the door out i wonder if somebody in the church this morning is looking for a way out but through these i am phrases we're given insight into the plan and purpose of our savior so my message this morning is 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 purposed in that i want to solve the question if there is a question on whether we can enter God's church without coming into Christ's church. Is it possible to get to heaven any other way except by Jesus? Is Jesus the only way to heaven? I know that in this room... Those of us in the physical in this room would agree, yes, that's true, but it's confused in the culture in which we live. And if we're not careful, hear what I'm telling you, if we're not careful, that same question will creep into the church if we don't speak the truth. The truth is, unless you come in the door and his name is Jesus Christ, you will never enter into the gates of heaven unless you first receive him as your personal savior. Does that make you perfect? No. But there's no other way. I don't care what they told you. There's no other way. Is it possible to be innocent? before a holy God to be viewed innocently? Is it possible? You see, the culture and the whole world are filled with different ideas on how we can get to this place called heaven or paradise. We know, as the Bible we read, that he is the way, the truth, the life. We've quoted that, and he is the door. He is the only way we believe that. So why is it that the culture, people in general, have such question? You know, now we went from questioning how to get to heaven to questioning whether a man or a woman. 
And how dare you tell me who I am based on how I'm built? Because I may decide I want something different and that should be okay. It's not. It's a lie from hell causing deception in our culture. But can I tell you the enemy is cunning? He's not dumb and he's not stupid. He understands if he can break down the very foundation of the world by doing it, by hitting the family head on and trying to mess that union up. He knows that if he can destroy the family, he will eventually get the church. I wonder if somebody in here is not willing to give up fighting for the church. There are those that believe that if they're a good person, God would not send me to a place called hell. That's for those people that do bad things. Kill people and do bad sort of things. It's just for those. Others would say that they would not believe that they don't believe there's a God. And you see, the, inno- innoc- the innocency of the, of the humanity was removed the moment that Eve disbelieved God's word. The first sin was not the fact that Eve took or, con- or, or deceived Adam to eat of the fruit. The sin was in the disbelief. And Jesus, God Almighty, would have us to believe today. If we don't believe, that is at the root of the whole human condition. We've got to believe in faith and know that he is who he says he is. But this tree of life, this circle of life seems to continue to be the core of our problem. We choose Whether we like it or not, we choose sometimes not to believe the Word of God. You know why I know that's true? Because when the Bible says, bring all your tithe into the storehouse, when the Bible says this and the Bible says that, there's commands all throughout the Scriptures, just one of them. If we believed it, Oh, God, bless me, but I believe half your word. Oh, God, I want you to do this for me and my family, and I want you to heal my body, and I want you to, and he says, if you would obey, obey me and believe my word. Those of us in the room that are tithers and givers, and we believe in the word of God, and we follow the word of God the best I can, we can testify to the truth that he's faithful and just, to do exceedingly abundantly above anything you ask or think. Why? Because he's a good, good God. He's merciful on our, on our disbelief. He's merciful. Wasn't it Paul? Was it Paul that said, uh, forgive, Lord, my unbelief? Who was that? Peter. Peter. 
So we know that God created us. We know that we are who we are. And we know that we make mistakes. We know that we doubt. And we should just fess up to the fact that, God, sometimes I doubt you. But there's one truth that I've got to stand on. Is that that is the, to know that you're the way, the truth, and the only way to God. And you are the door. And I accept that. I believe that. I may make mistakes. I may disbelieve here. I may not walk the way I should walk all the time because I'm a sinner by nature. But God, I know the bottom line is I'm not going to doubt the door. Come on, somebody. Give God some praise. Don't doubt the door. Don't doubt the door. You see, if I was to walk out that door right there, I can get out of it. I can walk right out that door. But there's one problem. When I get out that door, somebody's going to let me in. The Bible calls it faith. We get in and we get out on the key of faith. It's faith. Matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18 says this. For through him, being the door, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. It's by him, Ephesians says. And John chapter 14 and verse 6 says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one. Remember, John 10 and 9 says that anyone. And he says here that no one comes to the Father except me. Except through me. We go out the door. We come in the door through the key of faith. And you can't do that without him. A sinner that comes to the salvation knowledge of Jesus Christ cannot do it without him. Because it's the key of faith. Do you understand that this morning? The bottom line again is that we should never doubt the door. If you remember anything at all, remember that phrase, don't doubt the door. Don't doubt him. Don't doubt him. I don't care where you find yourself in life right now or what you're up against or what you're struggling. He is the only way. When he says he is the way, he means he's the way. There is no other way to live except by God because he's got everything in the palm of his hand and he's got everything under control. Just trust in him today. Acts 4 and 12 says, nor is there salvation in any other. Remember earlier I said, is there any way other than Jesus to get to this heaven. The Bible says that there is no other way. It is through, there is no salvation in any other. Not Mohammed. Not Buddha. This ain't about hate. It's about truth. The truth of this, we have to face the culture and say, stop 
trying to make another way to heaven because that way has been established over 2,000 years ago. There's no need of something new because he has taken care of you. For there is no other name under heaven, under heaven among men by which we can be saved. Paul was a pretty intelligent feller. And when you read the, the scriptures and that that are contributed to Paul, you have to understand the context of what Paul, who Paul was. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a very well-educated man in the law. And he was persecuting and killing Christians for the sake of the law. And you know the story. He has an encounter with Jesus. He has a salvation experience with Jesus on the road called Damascus. And he said, why are you persecuting my people? Paul has these conversion experience and that happens and that transpires. And here this man contributes to a scripture that says this, there is no other way. He was knowledge in the old, uh, uh, the old literature. He knew it. He knew it back and forth. But Paul says that we should, uh, if we do anything at all, we should preach Christ and him crucified. If the gospel ever turns from Christ Jesus and him crucified, it's false doctrine, and you better run from it, honey, because that's not what God came to say. Matthew 7 and 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad the way that leads to destruction. It's not hard to find yourself in a devil's hell. It's rather easy. Just ignore it. Tell yourself that you're a good person. Oh, I'm good. I, I, I do good by people. The Bible says that you need to get salvation, but do good works. But works don't receive you anything. You cannot earn heaven. It was already bought by a price. You was paid for because you owed a debt that you could not owe. It was because of Jesus. This is brought us the way leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Verse 14, but narrow... Narrow is the gate and difficult. Christianity is not easy. Oftentimes, it makes your life harder because you're going to make difficult choices. But it's worth it. This is difficult the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Count yourself blessed that you know the way because you're amongst the few. Be proud of it. Stand for it. Stand with it and say, God, if you chose me for such a time as this, I'm going to walk out of this gate and out of this door today and I'm going to take you to the world because you have chose me to be a part of the door. 
Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 5. Isaiah 45 and verse 5 says, I am, I am the Lord, and there is no other. What an important, powerful, prophetic scripture by the prophet Isaiah. He says, I am the Lord, speaking prophetically of the Jehovah of heaven. He says, I am the Lord. This is not some speaker. This is not some teacher. This is not some preacher. It's God Almighty speaking to the today church and says, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will be glad. I will gird you through you have not known me. Oh, church, if we got the magnitude of understanding what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus, to understand him as a door, understand him as that door, that gateway that we go into pasture and out. He's going to take us someplace and sometimes he takes us out. But everything that God does in every season, every pasture, everywhere that he takes us, in due season and it's done because he ordained it don't doubt the door Acts 14 verse 27 here again we find he says now when they've come and gathered the church together they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Aren't you thankful, Gentiles, that God saved a man called Paul, set his feet on a solid path, sent him out on crusades, and that is exactly where the... the, the, um, We attribute the reason why we have Jesus in our country today was because of what Paul did through God. He opened the door of faith. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to speak Jesus to a religious person because they have their own ideologies of their theology. But God spoke to Paul and he listened. I just, you have to admire that conversion. But I ask you a question about can we be innocent before God today? I'm not talking about salvation, I'm talking about being innocent before God. We find this grace, it's not a punishment. This was grace in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24. The Bible says, so he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the gate of Eden and flaming sword which turned, which turned every way to guard the way to the truth of life. He did not say to keep them out of paradise. He did say to keep them from getting to the tree because there's something about us as human beings Once we've tasted of 
things that we should not have. It's easier for us to go after it that much more. And do you realize that prophetically and, and scripturally, if we can prove this another time, that if they had a partaken of the tree of life the second time, that no Savior could ever change humanity's path. They would have been damned forever. But the moment that we receive Jesus on a tree, hanging between heaven and earth, a bridge, that is the door. So God did not punish them for disobeying. God protected them and protected you and I from them making a stupid decision. I told you earlier, the sheep are stupid. <laughs> but God knows how to give us wisdom. God knows what we're capable of doing and not doing. He's going to take us in the pasture and out of the pasture. Let's don't get stuck in the one pasture that's going dead. Let's don't get stuck in the past that is dying. Let's go on to greener pastures. Let's walk through the door. Let's walk out the door into greener pastures because he's the door. He is not limiting us, but we're limiting ourselves by our own doubt. We have got to stop doubting the door and start trusting him that is the door. I know that we think that we always do, but we really don't. We really don't. Not fully. We all don't at some point in time of our life. We're all guilty of it. Why? Because we're dumb sheep. You all don't go home today and tell everybody, pastor called me dumb today. <laughs> I'm not really. I'm just talking about sheep. Don't doubt the door. Don't doubt the door. What are we going to do about it? I run across a story about a man named John Hancock. I took interest to it, so I wrote it down. John Hancock returned home one evening from attending a very well-known evangelist. I forget, the, I forget the guy's name right now. He had gone to hear this man because he understood him to be a very smart and intelligent speaker. After hearing a message on John 10, 9, he returned back home, and he just was confused on how anyone could be a door. But upon thought of the message, he struggled with this idea. He gets to the house, and of course it's night, and he's at, it's dark outside, and he begins to shuffle through the keys in which he has in his pocket. He's got several keys, you know, different things. And he shuffles through the keys, and, and he, he comes upon the key to the door, and he unlocks the door, and he walks in. And the testimony here is that the moment he walks in, he walks to the door, key in hand, walks to the door from the dark to the light, and he walks in and he says, now I see. He said the report of the story was, the family looked at him and said, what in the world is wrong with you? He said, you don't understand what I've heard tonight. And the report is that the man received salvation because of a key 
and adore. <laughs> there is so many people out there. They're looking for a king. And they don't even know where to find it. They're looking to, to, for a door that they, they don't know exists. And this Savior I've been speaking about saved us to lead them to the key and show them to the door. Don't doubt the door. Don't doubt the door. Sister Jane, would you mind coming to the piano and go ahead and start playing? I'm going to share another scripture with you and I'm done. Don't doubt the door. Don't forget that. Don't doubt the door. Don't doubt it. If God says knock on it, knock on it. The Bible says, if you knock, the Bible also talks about Jesus knocking on the door. All we got to do is open into it. Open unto God. Because sometimes that door is scary, folks. Especially to an unbeliever, that door is a scary thing. That door is a, is a hard almost impossible thing to do because the world don't know what they're going to be expected to do. But can I tell you, if you're listening, just open it. Because God will never put something on you that He that you cannot contain. If He sees you through it, if He sees you to it, He'll see you through it. Don't doubt the door. Hebrews, this is what we need to do, church. We need to leave today. We need to make a point to do exactly what these words say. Not mine, but scripture. Hebrews 10 verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. The key. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and, a, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised <laughs> he is faithful and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together that's going to church as is the matter of some but exhorting one another as so much the more as you see the day approaching. Does anybody, anybody in this room believe the day of God's not approaching? And everything that we continue to see play out in the world today on, on the platforms across the world, the day of God is quickly approaching. Today is the day that we run after a risen Savior. Not because He just saved us, but because someone needs to see the key and someone needs to be led to the door. If you don't doubt the door and you believe in this gospel, stand to your feet.